Hello, and welcome back to the Mindful Belly Don't Eat Your Feelings podcast. I'm your host and health coach, Ellie Rome. So I was a complete sugar addict, binge eater, had a really toxic relationship with food. I was a former chemical engineer that felt really out of control when it came with stress, stress eating, trying to restrict myself from eating, and then would just end up binging. And what I came to find out was so much of it was the foods I was eating that were addictive, plus the emotional response, just my ability to cope with stress, with fear, with feelings of feeling out of control was food. Food was my security blanket. And recognizing that was the first step in starting to shift it. So now I've gained a lot of tools over this path of breaking free from sugar addiction, breaking free from using food to numb out. And now I've become a coach to share with other people, teach how to do this. So I know for me, it was so consuming. Every day was just a constant battle of trying not to eat. And usually I could go, you know, a couple hours and then it would end up being just a full out binge whenever I got hit with some trigger. So this podcast is about teaching you the tools that I use myself to overcome destructive eating behaviors and, and tools to handle stress. Because so often it's not just eat this, not that. It's so much deeper. And what I found with myself is that it was a lot of under, under the radar traumas that from even childhood, just things I picked up and learned I didn't want to feel. So my mind used food, used sugar. Like, where can I get my next hit to distract me from feeling this thing? And so that's what this podcast is about, teaching tools and also learning how to fuel your body in a way that it's meant to be fueled and how to honor those behaviors. So one of the practices that has absolutely changed my life and my relationship with stress is breath work. And now I teach breath work all over Austin and now live on Zoom. So if you ever want to join a breath work session, check out the link in the show notes. And I lead breath work sessions Monday through Thursday. Most of them are just 20 minute sessions. So gifting yourself 20 minutes can transform your whole day, can transform your whole week. And ultimately your life because your habits and your stress will change. And what we're doing with breath work. So this is activated breathing. This isn't um, some breath work like in yoga, very slow, um, restorative breath, which is amazing. And there's, there's so much benefit with that. And we do some of that. But a lot of this breath work is somatic release. It is releasing stress from the body. And what happens is throughout our day, from when we were small children, even in the womb, the stresses we pick up, we accumulate those. So they build up in the body. When we don't have ways to express, to let off that stress, we store it. And eventually we repress those emotions and stress and become depressed. And then if we go long times without it, it ends up manifesting into disease, dis-ease in the body, all of these repressed emotions. So if you can think about Every emotion you may have felt, even when you were little, th things like maybe you needed to cry and you were told not to cry, don't cry, or you needed to scream, but you were or angry, but we're told that, you know, anger is bad and there's so much shame around being angry. You shouldn't be angry. And so just swallow it. Or a time where you just wanted to laugh. You were in class. I mean, I have countless memories where I was just in class wanting to burst out laughing, but had to hold it in because you need to be quiet. And so it's all of these day after day, accumulating these emotions that get locked in the body. And this can weigh us down, keep us from being the fullest expressions of ourselves and holding that all that down. You know, the ways that I was coping with that was, was eating. 
And so many of us do because eating is like the one socially acceptable thing that we can do. And we're surrounded by food industry that creates addictive foods. So it's just this perfect storm of getting addicted and falling into traps of uncontrollable eating patterns. And, or it's another way of coping. Maybe it's drugs, maybe it's sex, maybe it's porn, maybe it's wine at night, maybe it's distraction with your phone. Or I know for me, it used to be alcohol, things like um, social anxiety I couldn't cope with. So I would, you know, want to drink. And, and even just busyness, overworking, that's a big one for me, just not wanting to slow down, realizing that that's actually a form of just not wanting to feel. Let me just over busy myself and overstimulate. And so what breath work does is if you can imagine all these emotions that we store in the body, like emotions we store in the body, like plastic baggies and the breath work allows these plastic baggies to start opening up and these emotions to come through. And so during breath work, you may experience an emotional release. You may want to cry. You may want to laugh. You may feel frustration and anger, but that's just energy that wants to move. It wants to be felt so it can leave. What's coming is going. What's coming is going. And so I lead one-on-one breathwork as well. And whether it's a group session or one-on-one, the releases I see with breathwork are so transformative. And people have, it's just mind-blowing what can happen with the breath. And deep, deep trauma healing can happen. And also just be just such a feeling of lightness and gratitude. Some of the deepest states of peace and gratitude that I've ever experienced have been after breathwork sessions. And so it's just so profound. So if you haven't tried it, I definitely recommend you try it. And you can start off with a short session, even just 10 minutes of breath. I have a YouTube channel now that I've started posting short videos, even if five minutes of breath, just starting to get into it and releasing even just stresses you build throughout your day. Or if you're hit with a wave of anxiety, it is so powerful to move that energy because a lot of it is just energy. Do you suffer from insomnia or trouble, trouble falling asleep? Breathwork can be so helpful. And I find it for myself too. I have very ADHD tendencies and hyperactivity or anxiety will hit. And sometimes trying to just drop into a meditation is like trying to slow down a hundred mile an hour train all of a sudden just stop it. And there's so much resistance that usually comes up. So what breathwork does is it helps me meet me where I'm at because it's a very active breath. Just big inhales. <sighs> big exhales and it's meeting that energy and it's moving it. And then what we do is end up coming into these big breath holds. And in those holds, there's so much stillness and peace. And so I, if you just have, if you haven't tried it or you haven't done breath work with me, I would love, love to experience that with you because it is so special and it is so powerful. And I just, over this past year, I've become kind of obsessed because I just see the transformations that happen with people in less than 10 minutes, 30 minutes. I have sessions, one-on-one sessions with my clients, and I would hardly do a single session now with my emotional eating clients without breathwork because it's just so much gets unpacked. It's like hours of therapy in one breathwork session. So give it a try. Can't emphasize that enough. And join me. You can find my classes. I'll put a link in my show notes and or mindfulbelly.com backslash classes. Sign up for a Zoom session and hit me up if you've got questions about it. Okay, so now for the episode. Let's get into it. So in this episode, I share with you an interview I had with Jennifer Gaskin. Jennifer is a corporate executive of a major tech company, and she's a single mom of two. Jennifer and I 
became friends after she came to one of my comfort zone retreats. That's how she found me was I lead these comfort zone retreats, which are basically a retreat to completely unplug, to get off your phone, to get in nature and to connect and build community with like-minded growth-minded people. So we do things to push you through your comfort zone, which things like ice baths, breath work, meditations, waking up early, doing morning rituals. Um, we eat really healthy. And just other ways to push through comfort zone, do some adventure hiking. And the reason for that is, A, it builds super strong bonds between everyone who's going through it. Because when we do hard things together, it's just so bonding. And then on top of that, it's also just building so much confidence and resilience in yourself, learning tools, how to surrender, how to let go of control, how to trust yourself. And, you know, we don't just do hard things to do hard things for the sake of it. It's really conditioning the mind to be able to have a hard conversation when it comes up, to be able to tell your truth, to be able to quit a toxic job or leave a toxic relationship when you know it's not serving you, to be able to tap into your breath and let that be your superpower in moments when you're craving food, in moments when you're dealing with a difficult emotion and instead of running away from it, you're able to feel it and face it so it can leave. And these, this is your superpower. When you can sit in discomfort, you can handle anything that comes your way. That the external world does not control your internal environment. And that is a muscle to build. That's what we do on these comfort zone retreats. So anyways, Jennifer signed up. She found it through Meetup. She happens to live in Austin. And now we've become such close friends. We're starting a retreat center together. We started building a retreat center here in Austin. The first retreat is April 1st, which is next week. Um, these are 24-hour retreats. So this is 24 hours to reset your nervous system. We unplug, in technology, unplug from technology. And it's really a time for integration, meditation, yoga, and lots of community building. The reason I want to have Jennifer on this podcast is because she has so much light to share, so much practical wisdom going through her own dark night of the soul. So she grew up and had a lot of, disordered eating patterns as well. She was, she calls it bulimorexia, basically binging on food, purging, and then going through cycles of just starvation, restriction, and cycling through that through, through college. And then she also has gone through a painful divorce, which she felt like there was no way out, but she found tools, she found hope, and she shares those in this episode. And so I hope anyone listening, you know, if you're feeling in a really dark place, just to remember that there is light and to keep going and that you're not alone. So if you ever need anything, please reach out and connect with me on Instagram. You can connect with Jennifer on Instagram. You know, we are here for you. The, the biggest epidemic in this world is loneliness and shame and depression. It's so isolating. And it can be so hard to overcome that hump of reaching out to somebody. Because the shame can be so strong and keep you in stories that you'll be unloved or not lovable if you admit that you're having hardship. And I know I go through this. So just to trust you're not alone and there's love here for you. So with that, here's the interview with Jennifer. Hello, Ellie. I'm so excited that we're doing this. Well, so I'd love to begin for the listeners just to kind of understand your background like who are you and any pivotal moment that got you to this point right here well it has been a uh, long journey 
And an uphill one, uh, you, sometimes we think in life that our progression is like stair steps, but it's really more like up and down, up and down, but ever you get to a plateau and you pause there for a little bit and then you uh, rejoin the climb. So certainly um, it's been a long journey, but I am so happy to be where I am. And all of those climbs along the way have brought me to where I am. Yeah. So who... Who are you? If someone was like, hey, Jennifer, like, who are you? What would you respond with? Well, every day I am a, a, a new person in a lot of ways. Uh, but today and where I am in my journey is stepping out to speak my truth and to speak um, what is inside of me and, uh, and, and really uh, just being the most authentic version of myself that I can be. Um, what's brought me to this point is, you know, uh, certainly a lot of, uh, like I said, ups and downs and just really, uh, being curious about why did this happen? Why is this happening? What can I do? And, and really, uh, sometimes that's included a lot of times that's included just embracing, the pain of it all and growing from it. Yeah. And so I'd love to, for people to get to like know you better. And so you're a mom of, of two. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I am a mom of two. I have an eight year old boy and a 12 year old girl. And I am um, a sales executive. I uh, run a sales uh, for a technology company. And uh, I have, uh, I love to read. I love to be out. I love all things that are design and real estate related. Um, and I love to travel. Uh, so I, I keep pretty busy. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a fun journey. Yeah, and I'm also a divorced mom of two. I got divorced about four years ago. Yeah. And what do you thank you for sharing that? And what do you think for, like, if you look back on your life, what do you feel like the biggest moments of growth have been? Well, certainly my divorce would have been up there close, if not number one, because really that uh, took the rug right out of my identity. You know, the person that I, uh, the, the life that I was living and the uh, identity that I had as a, a mom and being in a family and in, in a, a community uh, was a really safe, idealistic image of, of what my life was at that time, but it was all very illusionary in some ways. Um, uh, and, and the rattling of um, the death of what was the dream of this, this picture-perfect life uh, rocked me to my core. And I started on a, a journey uh, of rebuilding my identity from the ground up. And it literally, I will never forget, uh, I cracked open a, a book called Rebuilding When Your Relationship Ends. And I went through uh, all of the stages. It started out with a, um, what I call, what they call a mountain essentially, but it looks like a pyramid with a triangle with bricks. And at the bottom of the bricks, there's a, 
you know, self-esteem, anger, denial, like all the, you know, the base emotions that um, we can feel. And then on up the different levels, this journey. And at the very top brick is freedom. And I remember looking at that diagram and thinking, I am firmly rooted here on the bottom level. And how, how, what would that even look like? How do I get there? Like that just sounds so out of possibility from where I stood at that time. Uh, Because literally, you know, everything that I thought was true and was um, part of of my my world was just rocked. Uh, And so, I went through that, that book and uh, then I decided I would crack it open every year. So I cracked it open year two and I thought, oh wow, well I'm halfway up, I'm halfway up. And that was really cool to see. And then, uh, then the next year, uh, which we would have been September the third year, um, I said, wow, I'm one step away from freedom. I'm one brick away. And so I feel like I have just, uh, you know, just even in the last six to eight months, really just really started fully embracing and stepping into my freedom. And it feels so good. And, and that's, uh, that's what my journeys look like from a, from a high level, but it's stepping into my freedom. Yes. Ah, Jennifer, this is so good. And, and there's so many women listening who may be in a toxic relationship or who may be going through a divorce. And so for them who are on that base level, who are just like, I like cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel and maybe in lost in feelings of depression or um, for this podcast, numbing out with food, um, emotional eating or re- reaching for other addictions. Like what, what were you feeling at that time? What, I mean, if whatever you're willing to share around your divorce or just going through that first year, like what would you offer? Well, I would offer what somebody offered to me uh, in a very difficult time in my life that was not this, but a previous one. And we actually meant, talked about this a little bit yesterday because it had to do with the eating disorder. And uh what I was offered at that time, which was the best thing that I could have gotten. And what I will offer to anybody that's going through any difficulty right now, whether it's a a difficult marriage, whether it's it's things around food, whether it's things around addiction in general, you know, relationships, loss, um, regrets. What I offer is hope because I, if you had met me four years ago, I could barely put two sentences together. I was so deeply depressed. I had so much social anxiety. I didn't really, for a period, there was a a very intense period of time, uh, uh, several months where I was at the bottom and the only thing I had left to give to that relationship and to this life was my life. That's That's all I had left because I had given up on it. I thought, yeah, it would probably be better if I wasn't here. So I give hope because I, 
that is a, a different person. That person no longer exists. And I am here now as proof of that. Yes. Oh, thank you. And with, with that hope, like when you were at that point, what, what was that first baby step? Well, I can, I can tell you, I can tell you, um, there is a, a baby step, um, from the time when I was in that deep depression that got me out of the marriage. And then also a time right at the beginning of the divorce. Um, you know, the, the moment when I, you know, it was a feeling of hope when I started to come out of that depression and, and really say, okay, there's one more step, one more step. And I just remember like my fingers moving again to like, you know, try again, try again to find a way, you know, kind of that inner, like, okay, I'm going to do it. But the biggest thing in both of those situations was asking for help. And that asking came from a place of desperation of show me the way, show me what to do. Uh, you know, there, you know, there are many ways to ask for that help, right? Through through close ask for help from God, you know, like who I didn't have, a, I didn't have a faith and I had lost that faith, but then, you know, just asking, you know, show, show me, show me, I need, I need some direction. And, and in a lot of ways that the act of act, asking opens yourself up, yourself up to, you know, seeing and, and receiving things that, you know, in, in a lot of ways, you don't know where it's going to come from, but it gives you that extra charge to keep going. So I would say, ask if you're in a place that is difficult and confusing, you know, ask to know for yourself, because we can, we often go to other people, like, what should I do? Or uh, who should I talk to? Or what should I read? But, you know, there is a sense of, like the only way out is through through it within yourself like uh, in a lot of ways like ultimately that's where i've come point us in the right direction and and we don't do it alone because we're asking for help from from wherever that may come from yes and did you notice it with yourself so like having this hope asking, but did you notice yourself with any coping mechanisms during that time? So, so some of the, let's see, you know, there's always uh, resistance to like, okay, I don't want to do this, right? Like this is too hard. Like I'm, I, I'm actively like things come up in my life now where it's like, okay, that's too hard. I don't want to do that. And it's like, how do I, how do I shift that perspective to like, to see it in a different way? And sometimes like, excuse me, sometimes when we focus on what we have to do or what we feel like we have to do, then it becomes harder and harder. So in, in the case of when you say coping mechanism in specific regards to 
um, things going on in my divorce or, or what types of, what, what scenario are you regarding? Yeah, I guess to start with for this divorce, and then I'd love to go back to the earlier years with the eating disorder. But even just during your divorce, did you notice like with that resistance, like, or did you have things uh, that you reach for? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, looking back, you know, there's this, this sense of you know, just disbelief that this is, I, I remember thinking, how, how is this my life? How did this happen? You know, it was just such a shock to my system. Like, how is this? what's going on? It was, it was just so far out of my, uh, my vision of what my life was going to look like. How, how was this happening? And, and I think there was so much like, uh, feelings. There's so many feelings of, um, indignation around this, scenario happening and like feeling so wronged and feeling so um hurt and angry and you know this this need to somehow justify everything that happened right and and in that you know fighting against what was actually happened it made it in a lot of ways more painful for everybody involved in a lot of ways like when i think about the process that i went through and that we went through and and all the steps throughout the divorce, it's like, you know, it was, it, it, it's easier looking back because I have healed through it all. But when I think about, you know, all of the resistance to everything that was happening and fighting against it, you know, it just made it so much more difficult. So I think in looking back, that was a huge coping me mechanism. Because that was my way of like trying to understand how, how I got there, how I was there, you know, what was going to happen, what was my life going to look like, my kids, all of these things. And just to be able to look back now and say, okay, like I was trying so hard to do exactly what I had done, you know, throughout the years prior, which is to control what it looked like and to control what happened. And it's actually on the other side of the coin that the magic happens is in the release of all that control and that I didn't learn for much longer of a time throughout the process. Yeah. Oh, and, and looking back, like if you could talk to Jennifer now, like four years ago, or even a couple of years ago, what do you think practices helped you to learn how to surrender? Well, it's something I say to myself, uh, very often, uh, whenever I feel that, that, well of fear or anxiety or confusion come up or any any emotion that 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 doesn't feel good quite honestly i think okay everything is happening exactly as it should and just releasing it and knowing knowing coming from a place of knowing that everything is you know, it's like the Bob Marley song, everything's going to be all right, you know, and just like resting into that and like sinking into like that. Wow. Okay. It's like a big sigh to just know that everything, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult I can look back on those things that I thought were going to flatten me and see how they've brought me to where I am today, which is so much a richer person, fuller person in, in, in just 
blossomed in ways that I didn't even know existed to blossom in. <laughs> so it's really just remembering in those moments, like as hard as it is, if you can settle into somehow this is all happening for me it's not happily as it should there is some there is some peace in that in that surrender and in that letting go that just for me it's calming it's the way that I the way that I shift pretty much everything whether it's um things with my my kids or things with my career or things in my relationships it's like I can say everything's just happening and and what you know and, and then I ask and then I ask what can I be shown? What can I learn? What can I uh, do to, um, to really reflect on this and take something out of this to apply to my life going forward? What did I like about that experience? And that's what I focus on. What did I like about that experience? Even though it may be a horrible experience, you know, one of the things I had to do through this process of uh, my healing and rebuilding my identity was write a letter of appreciation to someone you feel has hurt you. And so that was a letter that I had to write to my ex-husband. And it, what that did was it recalled all the things that he, he did in the relationship that I appreciated and were hurtful or that were hard. Um, and what that did was help to get to you know, the distance between over there and that polarity and over there and that polarity of, you know, kind of love and hate. It's like finding those appreciation helps not help not only, you know, me to heal, but for me to be able to send out more of that loving energy to be able to um, not be tied to that past and that version of myself. Mm. And do you feel like the place you are now, are there any other, like that's such an awesome tangible practice someone can, can implement. I'm thinking about it for myself <laughs> um, <laughs> to be able to do that and release that. Cause when we hold on to those, those emotions, that's what often drives coping mechanisms or numbing from that. Mm -hmm. um, and do you feel like, after, like, what was your experience after you wrote that letter? Well, I think it's, 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 these are subtleties, right? They're little shifts that we do that, you know, there's this um, concept called thinking, doing, being, right? So I was in this process of, of thinking about, you know, uh, learning about how to rebuild my life and learning about relationship dynamics and learning about uh, how to, how to uh, change how I, how I saw things, how I did things, right? So in the learning and in the thinking, what we try to do is try to catch ourselves when we're in a bad thought pattern or when we're in those behaviors that we're learning about that maybe we don't want to carry, carry on. So you're thinking about them and then and you slowly start to catch yourself whether it's thought process or whether, or yeah, mostly around, around thoughts, behaviors, attitudes, around uh, things that, that no longer are necessary in your life and no longer wanted in your life. And so in the thinking and the learning about that, then we start to do things differently. So it's the, the mechanism of, okay, I have an awareness around this 
And I, next time it comes up, I'm not going to do it how I used to do it. I'm going to change it. I'm going to do something different. Right. And it's, uh, it's like, you know, if we operate out of our familiar past, which we've done there, we've been there, done that it's familiar to us. And we bring that into our future or into our present, we're going to have a predictable future. It's going to look the same as our past. So it's like in the learning, how do I think and then do differently as a result of an awareness. And every time that I do something different, I'm creating new neural pathways and eroding the old ones. And then eventually I become, I become and have become in so many ways, something new and something different than I was before. So it's the thinking, like an awareness around you know, learning, thinking, awareness, and then doing something different, thinking differently, acting differently, talking differently, um, and, and in, a, in a way that, that you would have done, wouldn't have done before. And in the doing differently, you start to become. And that, I can follow that, that pattern through so many things. All the changes in my life really started with a seed. And then I started to do just small things differently, just practicing differently. So, and then yeah. becoming. Yes. Um, Can you give a example of what that could look like, like a, a specific awareness that you may have had and then, and then how that, like just an example of that process. Sure. So, um, okay. so I learned something, uh, you know, I used to always identify as being really hard on myself. Some, when I would talk, my mom would say, oh, you're really hard on yourself. And I, and, and I identified with that and I am hard on myself. Like as a, it was kind of like a relief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone said, I'm hard on myself. I am hard on myself. I'm hard on myself. So I kept on saying, I'm hard on myself. I'm hard on myself, right? I'm really hard on myself as if it were kind of like an excuse for some of the, um, you know, some of the hard things that, you know, I was dealing with or some of the difficulties, you know, I'm just, I'm just too hard on myself. So I, I would say that to myself. And I have consciously built awareness around the things that I say to myself, the internal dialogue I have. And one of the ways that I've done that is uh, I recommend it to everyone. There is an I am app, download it on, you know, whatever it is that you download them on. And uh, it basically, it will send you, the default is 10 I am affirmations. So an affirmation would be like, I, I am, I'm worthy of love or I am, I am exactly where I need to be. I am uh, taking good care of my body and my mind, you know, all, all sorts of things. So 10 of these a day. And so I would, I, I did that for about two weeks and uh, would get them at the most random times. Like when I was, you know, just about to hop on a conference call or about my kids are about to walk in the door. And, and what that did was build an awareness of where my thoughts were because they were random times. And I thought, oh, my thoughts were in the gutter. You know, it's like, oh, I need to pull and shift away from how these thoughts uh, are kind of so prevalent in my life that I didn't even realize. And so that gave me a shift there, an awareness. And now I get them three times a day 
And I do it in the, I get three in the morning and those are my kind of three affirmations each day. So jumping back to like, how do I, how did I shift that? Oh, look, you have some flowers behind. <laughs> um, so the, the I ams, uh, you know, were a part of, um, you know, I, you know, I am, uh, I'm hard on myself. So I had a, a friend and mentor say to me, what if, what if you started saying to yourself, I go easy on myself. I go easy on myself. And it's such a subtle shift, but it had such an impact on, on me. And so then instead of looking for the ways that I'm hard on myself, I started looking for ways that I'm easy on myself. So I was thinking because I learned something new, I started thinking in a different way, which is I go easy on myself. I go easy on myself. And then I started gradually doing things like, oh, I go easy on myself and being okay with some of the, you know, with the self-care things that I was doing. And, and cause I go easy on myself. I take care of myself. I, you know, it has, it's just a closer step to love, to love for yourself, love for it all. It's a closer step to say, I go easy on myself than it is to say, I go hard on myself, right? So it's like those, you know, you don't get again from that polarity to that polarity and that end to that end, you know, you can't make that jump. If you're going in two different directions, it's hard to do it. So it's like just kind of a tur slow turn in that right direction helps progress you along the path to, to really get to a place where, now, you know, I feel, I feel ease. I feel like ease in so many ways. Instead of hard on myself, I'm, ease is, you know, playing, having joy, more love, just all of those things. So because I've said that in my mind, instead of saying I'm hard on myself, I shifted it to something different, something so simple, but that's the thinking, doing, being. And now, you know, I, I live my life with ease. And that, that is what I'm saying. That is what I say to myself, right? I live my life with ease and more and more and more ease comes into my life. And so I become it. This is beautiful. And I'm curious for you, like, so just like for me knowing you, I've known you for the past uh, maybe year, a little less than a year. Mm -hmm. Just um, Jennifer came into my life through a comfort zone retreat. And just the fact that you were even signed up for that, like, is that something like in doing meditation, breath work, even getting into um, like more spiritual journey, plant medicine. Like, was that something you could see like was in your life four years ago or was that part of the journey? No, not at all. So I have, uh, you know, I had a, a, a pretty uh, suburban mom life, uh, you know, which did not include meditation or breath work or, uh, plant medicine or much growth at all, to be honest with you, because there was a period of time, uh, you know, while I was raising my kids that I, I, you know, I wasn't reading anything. I wasn't listening to a whole lot. You know, I was just raising my kids and like involved in, in the community of my peers that were also doing the same thing and just, you know, living that young child life, which is very busy and very hard to you know, follow on that path of personal growth during that time, because there's just a lot of pressure and a lot of responsibility, especially during that time. Um, and so, you know, it was interesting because I had a, uh, I would go home 
to uh, Virginia, which is where I'm from, every summer with the kids uh, for a week or two and would be with my parents and we'd go out and they have a cabin on a lake and, and cousins would be there. And it's as they, you know, as, as my youngest grew out of, uh, you know, being a, a small baby and was started to be a toddler, like I started to get a little bit of freedom around when I was on these trips, this first year that I had some, uh, some degree of freedom where like a cousin could kind of keep an eye on or, you know, my parents, I got to read that trip. And it was the first time that I, you know, I just was soaking it in, just soaking it in of like, oh, it feels so good to learn, you know, because I just was in this place where, uh, you know, I wasn't doing that for so long. And so um, started learning and started going down this path that eventually, um, you know, a lot of ups and downs, but it was the, the impetus for, you know, building kind of some uh, anticipation and desire for, for more than, than just kind of the, um, the numbness of what I was experiencing. And so when I went through my divorce, uh, of course, I, I was living, I was a different person, but in a lot of ways, still in the same environment. My environment had changed some, but um, still, you know, all the wonderful friends that I had around me, um, all the, uh, you know, the things in my life in some ways hadn't changed that much, but I had changed so much. And I was uh, really uh, looking for, and I was a single mom, right? And so I, I, I was a little, a little bit out of, um, you know, one of these is not like the other. I felt like that sometimes. And so I wanted to find uh, people that were kind of in the same place of life that I was, you know, whether, whether it be, be single or um, gr and growing and actively, um, you know, building curiosity around things, doing things for themselves, doing doing things uh, like I had had an exposure to breath work, which I really had enjoyed. Um, I hadn't really started meditating at that, at that point. Um, but the last, uh, last spring around this time, I had had my first breath work experience and I, I went on to meet up my, I had talked to my parents. I said, you know, I would, I'd really like to find a group of people that you know, that, that I resonate with in that way with some of these things that I had been learning. And um, so I had I'd set that intention of, I really would like to have this, more of this in my life. I identified something that I wanted more of and I spoke that. And so basically I had a meetup group that um, had been recommended to me just through all the algorithms and it was the Wim Hof uh, meetup. And I just kind of kept an eye on that. Like, oh, that's interesting. I was a little bit of a voyeur. Oh, I should go, I should try that out. And then one day I got an invitation that was sent, I think to the entire group to uh, your comfort zone retreat. And I read it and I said, this, I wanna go. It's doing hard things. It's stretching myself. It's, it's yoga, it's meditation, a little bit of meditation, a little bit of breath work, doing things that are challenging to myself, um, unknown things. That sounds like, that sounds like where I am. That sounds like what I want to do. And that sounds like the type of person that I'd want to do it with, you know, all of the, all of the people that would be interested in something like that. And so it has been, 
you know, a remarkable journey, even since then, that was last August, um, that I went on that trip, not knowing anyone and, uh, you know, have, have developed some amazing friendships of, of growth and pushing each other, um, it is such a wonderful thing to be around people that want the best uh, for you. And it's a mutual thing, you know, that you get joy from somebody, um, somebody else following their passion and, and living their life in an authentic way. And so it's just so good. And then in my front with my, my friendships here in my current community, it's like, you know, as, as I grow, it's like, um, there's so many great things that happen just within my relationships that I've, that I've had, um, along the way too. I mean, those have, have, have changed and grown and developed in, in so many really cool ways as a result of, of all the different things that I've done. So that's, that's how I came, came to my most recent part of my journey. And thank you for stepping out and doing the things that you do, Ellie. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm so happy that you came and it's just such a, I just want to speak to like the the stepping into the unknown, like you said, just like, oh, maybe I'll try this group out. Like, this is like the only way we can like get out of, like you said, repeating the predictable future. Like we will live the groundhog's day, same day, same thoughts, same feelings of guilt, of shame, or just depression if we don't expand outside of that norm. But it's so comfortable to just do the same yeah. things every day. Yes. So like I literally coming to the, I'm at a co-working space right now and I wanted to record from home. And I was like, no, no. Cause you keep doing the same habits at home where there's distraction. There's like a refrigerator. I'm like, like, I will just keep repeating that unless I just like, and it's the little, those little things to like, get out of this, the same environment that's cueing the same hormones of stress, the same mm -hmm. thoughts and ideas. Like they won't change if you just sit in that same, it's just harder to change. So, right. Yeah. Right. And then when we, if you, it, you know, to, you talked about the hormones of change or, or doing something differently, you know, that is, that is so much of it. Like we're in some ways, uh, we're, we're addicted to that. We're addicted to like that familiarity because it gives us little dopamine hits of like, you know, whether it's, it, it, it could be, it could be so many different things. It's a, you know, uh, you know, if we talk, talk about like eating, uh, you have different, uh, hormones and receptors and, uh, you had the, the word you just used, um, I'm not gonna be able to remember it, but all, all of the things that happen within our physiological body all of the things that uh, that basically react when we when we engage in some of these behaviors that feel safe and comfortable, and we do it because it's like, oh, I need to go back to that. I need to go back to that because, oh, okay, that feels better. So it's like it's it's, but it's not beneficial. It's not good for us. Well, it's teaching us something, but you know, in those behavior patterns, we keep doing them because. It gives us our, literally our bodies are addicted to the feeling that it gives us, right? I mean, that's what it, an addiction is, but it's through the chemicals that our body produces as a result of that. And so it's like, we go back to it because we're producing those same chemicals. And so it's, it's, it's very fascinating how, how, uh, when we 
when we're engaged in behaviors, whether it's just the life that I was living, I was addicted to that life. And so to be able to uh, step out into doing something differently, I knew I wanted something different, right? I knew I wanted something different because like addiction, whatever it is, is something that you don't, you don't want that, right? You do it, but you don't want it. And so it's like, how do you, how do you step out of it? How do you step out of it? And it is, you know, it's incremental change and it's doing something differently than you've done before. But there's also like starting to look at what is it that you do want, right? And focusing on that. Because so often it's like, we stay in that behavior pattern. We stay in that thought pattern. It's how do we look to, what is it that I do want? You know, there's this grocery store of life. Let's look at the things that we want, the things that we want to feel. How do we want to feel? And focus there because then our minds start to think about, okay, here's more ways that I see that in my life. And that's that subtle shift I was talking about, not going from, you know, having, you know, a, a full-fledged addiction to, you know, not addicted. I mean, there, there is a pathway there and it's these slow shifts of not, I don't want this. I don't want this behavior. I don't want this. Not it's the path is not to focus on what you don't want. It's to focus on what you do want and shift that to go down that direction. Yes, Jennifer. And I even heard you say this morning, um, to one of our friends, we were talking about addiction and pathways and even the, the self-compassion and the, the, to develop a new relationship with that addiction versus beating the drum of like, I don't want this. It's like, what is this thing? And like with parts work, it's like, this is a part that's trying to protect you. But even the way you verb, I want to let you speak to that. Just. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's this concept of, of, you know, I've mentioned it several times, just How, how we shift from one extreme to the next, right? Or how do, how do, we, how do we go from, you know, I, I, I don't, don't want this, I don't like this to this is what I want. Like, how do, we, how do we get from here to here, right? And you've got a train going that way and then a train going this way. How do you, how do you hop trains? You, I mean, you can't turn your, turn your train around. It's going too fast there, but it's like, it's like just slowly slowing the train down enough to say, okay, like I like embracing it, embracing the, like sometimes it's because we focus so much on what we don't want. Like we're reiterating the things that we don't want. And so it's like loving, actually loving that, that through this process of, of an, of an addiction that, that it's going to build you and refine you and create a new you as you look for ways to get more of what it is that you want. So like the first, the first part of the process is really like shifting from like, I don't like this. I hate this. I don't want this to let me look for, you know, the, the thing, like the things about it that I, that I might love. And that sounds so strange, right? To think about like an addiction and, and tie in love to that. But as you feel more thoughts of love whatever those things are that you can find that you love about it you're slowly shifting your your being towards the direction that you want to go in the direction of you know loving yourself and moving to a way of treating yourself with that love um and then just 
removing the shame around it, right? Like we had so much shame around addiction. It's like, I think, you know, you talking about it and, and, you know, it's, 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 um, it can, it can bring up fears to talk about things that, uh, are sad in your life or that you're not proud of, or, you know, and I speak that for myself, you know, things that, you know, just my, my relationship being broken, my marriage being broken, my family being broken. That's hard. You know, that's, it's nothing I ever thought that would be, but, you know, being able to remove the shame of that, of that sadness and really embracing that, um, not living from a place from it, but knowing that that was a part of my story. And that's a, a part of my past that I'm moving on from and have moved on from and like visualize at the time like what would it look like to be at that top brick of freedom right like having that I am here but I'm this is the direction I'm going it's this way and like that is like kind of removing removing the shame around it. like loving like finding finding things to love about what it is that is very difficult for you and finding things to love about what you want it to look like. And then, you know, eventually that helps you to shift for love for yourself more. And then, um, you know, just removing that shame from that, removing, removing the shame. And then, and then eventually you become from you, then you start to, um, help ask for direction, ask for, you know, what do I need to know to, move past some of this, uh, these challenges that I've had and be guided in that way. And then you, then you eventually are, are thinking, doing and becoming. Yes. And it, three things came to mind when you were speaking, the first being like how to build, how to bring the love to the, to a, an addiction. Um, and I alluded to it a little bit, but just said that it's rooted in most addiction. Like we, we always chat about Gabor Monte, but mm-hmm. most addiction is rooted in pain so there's a a painful part of you that doesn't want to feel shame or some difficult emotion and then there's a protector part of you that just wants to help you numb in some way and maybe it's through some coping mechanism whether it's just busyness food porn drugs alcohol um avoidance foggy brain like there's all these ways our our psyche will will take over just as a protection so it's like oh if i can pause here and notice when this comes on it's like Oh, like you're you're trying to protect me from this mm-hmm. hurt that I'm not wanting to feel. Like, can I sit in this and just breathe in it and like not run away? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because that you know the, that's our like the fight, flight, or freeze, right? It's like what, like our body responds in one of those ways when we're faced with a difficult situation. It's like, okay, how do you, how do you, um, how do you step into a situation like with an, with an addiction? Like how, how do you feel that the difficult emotions around it and know that it's, you're going to get through it. Like sometimes we avoid it, right? We avoid by doing some of these addictive behaviors. And there was a story that somebody told me about um, the, you know, the quickest way through it is through it. Like the Buffalo who 
uh, in the field. Have you heard this story? Yeah, but please tell it. Buffalo. Tell it. <laughs> where, where the buffalo, I mean, basically in life we have, we have difficult things and a lot of times we just try to avoid it, right? Okay, we avoid it by, like you said, distractions, social media, TV, because it's, you know, we don't, we don't want to face whatever it is. And so I think in my life, you know, we talk about like getting out of our comfort zone. Like I've really embraced that the quickest way through it is through it. Cause I'm like, I want out. I want to that freedom block. I want there. Right. And so it's like, okay, how do we embrace it? How do we do it? And so it's the, the story of the Buffalo is that um, cows, when they're in a storm or they see a storm coming, they start running in the opposite direction. Well, what happens as you run, and this can be basically, this can be tied to addiction as you, as you run or you engage in those behaviors, you're literally running at the speed of the storm. So you're stuck in the storm. You can't get out of it. You're in the middle of a, of a cyclone, right? And you're stuck. What the Buffalo do is they see a storm coming and they about face right to the storm head on and they go through it because the quickest way through it is through it to the light on the other side. And so I think that, you know, I have, uh, you know, I, I, I decided that this is not this, what I, what I want is, is that way. And so I'm going to go that way, full, full force ahead. Mm. Go right to it. <laughs> yes. And you said something really beautiful today to, to Valdi that I heard. And it was just like, what do you do when that impulse hits where you that old pattern hits and you're you've got that moment yeah well you know there's a there's a few things that I would say like you know ask right ask your higher power ask um to be shown ask to be given strength um and then I you know I told I told him call me text me what do you like you know, to reach out because we don't do these things are not done in solitude, right? Like I would not be where I am along my journey had it not been for, you know, the, the community that I have that, that just, that breathes together, which how beautiful is that, right? We're just breathing together and, and, and doing, and sitting in silence, right? Uh, in a lot of ways. Um, so I think that it's important to, to remove that shame from the addiction by being able to have um, people that are there to be able to to lean on and to be able to support along the way, and that's so important, so important. And I've had so many, I so many people that I have uh, gratitude for along the journey. Oh, and you're one. Thank you, Jennifer. You're one for me. And um, but and also you mentioned I just you mentioned just take a take a breath in that moment oh gosh yes I mean well this is yes. great too ask absolutely ask for help and reach out I mean, oh, that's we were, a, yes 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 that is, I mean that's the number one yes so in those moments when there is something and I I did this several times yesterday and Ellie I saw that you had posted oh just a one minute breath on your Instagram and I just pulled up and I was like Yes, because earlier the day, I just kind of took a pause and I just put my hands on my heart, just like to calm and recenter in the, in that moment. And that's what the breathing does. So when I was talking earlier, I said, yeah, when you have that impulse, yes, 
breathe, just take a few minutes to breathe, to stop, to recenter, to, because we get so, um, you know, convoluted in our head and it starts to spin around that we get confused and we don't know what to do or where to go or what, but it's within you ultimately. Uh, ultimately, we have the answers inside of ourselves, right? I mean, there's different things that we can go and do, but yes, breathe. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I need the reminders too. But yes, breathing. I recommend that highly. Just to listen to your your heart and your breath. It's just so calming. And I I I work with my kids on that. They're somewhat resistant to it, but my my son, I've seen him do it a few times and it, it makes me glow, you know, when he's kind of hit that hit that um that threshold of overwhelm or frustration. Um, he just, just breathe. Mm. Yeah. Yes. yes. And it's even just one conscious breath. Like when I get hit with an impulse, so I have like yep. ADHD tendencies. And so I'll just, I'll be in a moment where I like could do some task and so badly my mind wants to just like dart. And it's just like, I breathe like deep in my belly. And sometimes I'm like a little, like, it's almost like my higher self is like, you know what to do here. And I'm just like, oh, like it's painful, yeah. which is like, yeah. and even making emoting those noises, like, oh, I know. <sighs> All right. Yes. And it's like, well, and it's, it's scientific. Yeah. It's scientific. The breathing, you know, there's uh, Andrew Huberman, who's a neuro neuroscience. I'm sure you've heard of him. He's great. He has you know, stuff about dopamine, stuff about addiction, stuff about um, you know, just the brain and how it, how it works. He, he talked about this one breath where you breathe in and you hold for a few seconds and then you take another little sip of air and you hold it. And there's something about pulling up all of the air out of your, um, you know, pulling all of it up and then just a little bit more to really fill the capacity uh, that helps uh, transmute in your brain a sense of calm. Yes, Jennifer, I'm so glad you said this. This is, I literally just made a video on it because of Andrew Huberman, I watched this. The, psycho, the physiological side is what he calls it. And I noticed, I'm sure you, you noticed, but like this is the natural response we have to mm. stress. Well, do, <sighs> It's like a, and I noticed okay. myself doing it. And then when I learned his video, I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is what it is. And it's yes. just like that. It's just such a clearing state and we'll do it in our sleep um, to release stress. And so it's something that we have that control to do. We have it involuntarily and voluntarily. We can, we can tap into yeah. that breath. Yeah. Like, like when somebody's crying, right. Or like a really hard cry is like, <gasps> Yeah, taking that, taking that in. Yeah, that's really cool. He's got some great stuff. He does. I'm so glad you shared that. And, mm -hmm. and also just for, for you, like, even like we're talking about the trains of momentum, like Abraham Hicks talks about this. And if you're in the momentum of some spiral or some negative thought pattern, it's sometimes jumping to things like gratitude or some positive emotions, like it can be really hard to go from that one place yeah. to the other. And honestly, sometimes going, trying to be grateful or get in that state, there's so much resistance yeah. that it almost makes it worse. It's yeah. like, yeah. Uh, and 
Yeah. And then, so the slowing down, and that's what we can do with our breath is that we don't have to get to that positiveness yet. Like that's where meditation comes in. That's where breath work comes in to just clear it out. Like the activated breath this past year has just changed my life. And so I love yes. speaking to it. Yeah. Yeah. Just something simple. You, who who thought that something so simple as just breathing can really release so much that's within us to be able to make those small little shifts, just small incremental shifts, right? It's just, and that's, that's the thing that I think can be overwhelming about addiction or hard things is like when we're sitting squarely in the muck, in the pain, it's hard to see, you know, when you think about where you're wanting to go, like all what that looks like, it can be kind of overwhelming. It's like, how do I get there? Right? Like me at the bottom of that, of that pyramid, how do I get there? That sounds crazy. I'm not going to be able to get there. And so it's like just these small incremental changes one step at a time. Right. It's like, if we look, I remember I was in uh, this Jerry Quaqua Brazil years ago, and there was this uh, sand mountain. And at the top of the sand mountain, this little village would climb up to the top of this mountain every night and sit on the top of this sand mountain that overlooked the ocean and they'd watch the sunset. You couldn't really see, like that was the best place to go and you couldn't really see it around the mountain from the village, so you had to go up the mountain. But I remember climbing up that and like you look up and it's like, this is like straight up. and what I had to do to get up it was just look down at my feet and just take one step at a time. Like looking up all the way was too overwhelming. I was like, I can't do this. But if you just focus on like one step in front of you and like one little thing to be grateful for, or one little thing that you want more in your life, one little thing, then it, it makes the journey easier. Like I couldn't have ever gone from, you know, uh, self-esteem you know poor self-esteem all the way up to freedom like the, I mean there's steps in between it all right um and there's another concept um we had talked so you know one of the things that I also learned about uh this is a few years ago now was this concept of being above the line or below the line and you know how we can gauge in our lives and how to how to you know above the line and below the line Essentially, you know, we can get into these contracted states of feeling these anxiety, um, overwhelm, fear, all, all of these things, uh, you know, I don't want to do this, you know, this addictive behavior, but I, but I, 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 I want to at the same time, you know, these, these states of like, you know, okay, I, I'm feeling a potential loss of like uh, approval, whether it's other approval or self-approval and like control, I want to take control of this, or I want, um, you know, I want to feel secure, I'm, I'm not feeling secure, like when we get threatened in these, um, uh, these, these, these states, we move into what's called like below the line thinking, um, where we're sad, or we're angry, or we're scared, you know, and we can, um, you know, get in these uh, places where, um, ideally 
we're, we're acting above the line, which is we're presently in this moment, present, we're trusting of ourselves, of other people, or we're available, you know, present, trusting, and available. Um, and then below the line, we act, we act out of fear. Um, uh, anger, sadness, uh, and those lives, or what do we need to pay attention to? Um, and so, you know, in those moments of, you know, I don't want to engage in this behavior, like just making that, taking that pause, taking a deep breath, you know, above the line, below the line. Okay. Am I present? Am I trusting? Am I available? Okay. Nope. Am I, am I sad? Am I afraid? Am I angry? And then just thinking about like, what are the things around that, that we can, um, that we can change in that moment, you know, and breathing into it and just calming. Mm. Totally. Oh, I love this so much, <laughs> this concept. And, and even for people to start, yeah, just noticing just the awareness, it's such a huge piece. And even yeah. If, yeah. That yeah. one step that one, just one breath, maybe you're going to engage in the behavior. That's okay. But can you just add a breath before you do it? Just try that first. And then it's yeah. like baby steps. Yeah. I mean, the awareness is everything, you know, just in all the things, in the thoughts, in the putting, putting separation between the, the thought of the activity and the activity, you know, exp like extending that time to allow yourself the, you know, the breath does that, just calming you to be able to, in that silence or in that quiet, get, get a new idea, get some, uh, you know, a, a new uh, way of, of what am I going to do next? Like, I don't want to go engage in that behavior just putting that distance between you and, and that behavior in a, in a very calming way for the brain. It's great. Totally. And sometimes it's helpful to even draw it out. I've done this for myself or I'll do it for clients where we're like drawing this, the pattern and identifying what like the cycle that's happening. And then you can honestly like, then start seeing it as it's coming up. It's like, oh my gosh, here it is. And it's like, what is that feeling that sparked? Maybe if it was a, say I binge ate. Okay, well, backtracking. Okay, what was the feeling before? What was I feeling? What was going on for me? What was like the state I was in? And then what was the pattern? Okay, I binge ate on X, Y, Z. Why, why was that? Where was it in the house? Like, was it readily available? What was I trying to numb from? And it's like the cycle after that. Okay, then I felt shame, guilt. Mm. I probably ate more because I, that feeling, I don't want it, that shame and guilt. So eating more and then getting until the point of like, this is awful. Um, I'm gonna pass out or whatever. And then, and then the next day, restricting, restricting completely. Mm. And then our setting be like, I'm never doing that again. I'm going to throw all this stuff out. I'm going to eat 10 calories today. I'm going to go run 17 miles and then, or some mm -hmm. extreme. And mm -hmm. then a stressor hits in that cycle. It's just like, why well, as we spoke to in the beginning, being addicted, not only to numbing that initial stressor, but also to that shame and guilt afterwards. Yeah that cortisol response, that stress response, like that, all of that is part of the addiction. And so it's like, oh, when I can bring the awareness, actually visually see what's going on, it's like, mm -hmm. okay, where can I create pauses in there to break this, to pattern mm -hmm. interrupt, like get out of there. Mm -hmm. Like it's just every time and you're building that new, be a new behavior, you're building, like breaking that circle, going out, building a new path, but it's gonna be hard in the beginning because that's, pat. it's like, 
that gear is spinning, that gear is spinning. And so it's just like any time that you are able to interrupt it, it's such a huge win. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of times when you lead the breath works, you, you add an element with that breath that I think is really powerful, which is, you know, you're breathing, breathing in and while you're breathing out. So it's like you're breathing in, let's say gratitude, breathing out doubt, right? Like, so that like, even in like the, the breath, you can, you can couple that with, you know, something that you want to leave and something that you want to bring, right? I mean, if, you know, because I can't stress enough, like how important what we think about what we're doing impacts what we're doing, right? So like the, the thoughts around it, like, so breathing in, like just, just pausing long enough to take a breath and to just say, you know, I'm breathing in gratitude that I am able to, that I'm able to feed myself, like something mm -hmm. as simple as that, right? Like that, you know, you have, you know, shame and, and, and negative emotion around, you know, the binging, but the gratitude around, wow, that I have, that I have hands with which to feed my mouth, right? Just, just a shifting a little bit towards like, okay, something, some good, within the hardness so. yes yes and for that to be the new the new cycle the new pattern okay when this happens you know well i'm not going to tell myself not to do it i'm just gonna that's right this feeling i'm that's just right. gonna add in the gratitude that's, that's right that's right that's right because you know telling yourself i'm, I'm not going to do that's like that's resistance to it right and so what we're trying to build and I, you know, you know, I, I'm learning just as much through this conversation, <laughs> Ellie, you know, just reminders for myself when I come up against these things, right. Where it's like, okay, don't tell myself like, that's bad. I shouldn't do that. It's find something in it. I mean, that's what I've been learning. Find something in it that is, that I can be grateful for, which shifts it just a little bit, which changes the thinking just a little bit which then will change the doing, which then will change the becoming. Yes. And I love it about you, like the, just like reframing the questions we're asking and like asking empowering questions. And you do this all the time. I see, I see you doing, I see you even like pattern interrupt when you notice if someone says something like a limiting, like, wait, <laughs> like let's redirect that. And it's so helpful, but like asking those empowering questions and getting Michael Beckwith talks about this and the getting out of the the victim mentality of things mm -hmm. it's like where's the good in this how did this help me how did this where what yeah. lessons are here for me because yeah. everything we talked we talked about this last week in Wimhoff was the the we'll we'll repeat it till we complete it so it's like what is I here that. that's trying to teach me that I keep like not getting but like there's mm -hmm. a the game and I'm ready to level up so like let me actually observe it from that lens and like oh like the lesson here is X and now I can choose Y. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's exciting. All these things, you know, and we're learning as we go, you know, that's the other thing is that no, we've never done this before. We've never done this life before, right? Like we're learning as we go. And so a lot of the things when I, you know, the, the built-in, like I go easy on myself, that's evolved to like, 
I'm just practicing. Like if I mess up on something or it doesn't go well, like I'm just practicing. This is something that, you know, for whatever reason, either good or bad, it's in my life and I'm working through it and I'm just practicing. And so it gives me the freedom to make the mistakes and like, you know, cause I don't like, I'm not an expert at life. I'm just learning and practicing my way through it. And so it just gives a lot of like more ease to, you know, not be, not be, uh, you know, not, be, not be judgmental or critical of how it looks, um, especially in the face of, you know, addiction, right? It's like, okay, we've got to stop this now. But if we can shift that to like, hey, you know, I don't necessarily have the answers to why I, why I have this behavior or where it comes from. Um, you know, there's certainly a lot of reasons that I could attribute it to, but let's look about, let's look how we might shift it to be able to really um, practice engaging in different ways just ever so slightly because those over to those things over time chemically in our brains will start to shift and then we become someone new and that old person is no longer and I and I'm going to tell you that it's true for me you know I used to we, we haven't talked about this and and I know we we're almost on time here but um you know I can say that when I was in uh my eating disorder, like I, there, I could not fathom for one second what it would be like to not have that controlling my life. It just was so far out of my realm of thinking. And I can say, you know, again, back to that hope thing, I can say that it is not something that I deal with, like it, at all, at all. You know, I, I, I live my life in, in ease in that way. And so, you know, it was a process, but it was not for me, the path was not, you know, uh, focusing more on that addiction and that that process for me. It was that that glimmer of hope that I had that that was the first time that somebody had offered that to me um, to shift it, like to start to see the ways that there was hope and the ways that it could be, that it could look and start to just like really step into the, the practicing of, huh, let me get curious about other things around my life and what I want it to look like and focusing there. And I can say now that it's not something that I, that I deal with. So I give hope on all the things. Oh, beautiful, Jennifer. And I know we only have a couple of minutes, but I, I did want to just allude a little bit more to, to that. For anyone listening who is in the middle of an eating disorder, for you, um, connecting it back, like from whether it's like, for me, I'm still learning even for my own, just like how connected to trauma, connected to um, coping mechanisms, senses of control. Um, what, if you're willing to share, just what do you feel like a lot was driving your eating disorder? If I had to put some boundaries or parameters around, you know, why I fell into that. Um, it was because that was 
comfortable. You know, we talked about the, the, the hormones and the, the chemicals in our bodies, like restricting myself and punishing myself in that way, you know, as, you know, difficult as it is for, for, for some people to understand, like, well, why would you do that to your own body? Like people that have had that, that difficulty in their life, like it feels relieving to be able to engage in some of those addictive behaviors because it's like, okay, this feels, this feels familiar, right? It's the familiarity of the, of the hormones. And so for me, I stepped into that because I think that, you know, it it started um, in college for me where I think that I had some uh, dynamics in my family that felt that maybe some d- dysfunctional dynamics that uh, created this uh, chemical cocktail for my life and how I lived it. And then that went away when I went to college. So it was like, oh, I need to, I need to create these chemicals because I was unknowingly maybe addicted to that dynamic. And so it replicated it in my eating behaviors. It, it basically, um, you know, reinforced and, um, gave me those same, same hits in a lot of ways, that addiction, um, that I was used to. And so it felt, it felt, um, felt normal, but it was, it's, it's very interesting because like, I think that, uh, you know, we may have, you know, different dynamics in our, in our relationships and in our lives. And only some of these behaviors are identified as addictive, right? Addictive behaviors, right? Um, and an eating disorder, what I was bulimorexic, so I, you know, wouldn't eat and then I, uh, would purge. And, um, you know, it was this cycle where, um, that's a, you know, I knew I could look at that and say, okay, that is probably not like not behavior that I want to engage in, but I can't, I don't know why I'm doing it. I don't know how to stop myself, but it like, you know, it was because it was addictive in the, what it did to my body. And, you know, I was just like compelled to do it. And I don't know if that resonates at all, but it's like, you can't stop it. Right. And it's like, what's going on? Because when there were the subtleties in the, in, you know, in, in the, the dynamics, maybe in the home environment, whatever, whatever those might've been, you know, I was kind of replicating that control, that, that element within it. And it's like, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think that it stemmed from, and, and there, I had some uh, traumatic, I had some, uh, uh, sexual abuse in my background as well, which, which is, uh, again, you know, goes back to the control type elements of, uh, of our bodies and, and wanting to have that control where there was loss of control. So that, that's a, certainly a dynamic that was at play there. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's addiction and, uh, eating disorders and, and all, all of the things there's, there's so many ways that we can be addicted that, 
you know, some maybe look, look worse than others, right? But they're all, they're all rooted in, I, I believe, in, um, you know, in dysfunctional thought patterns in a lot of ways. Like we're, we're engaging, um, engaging our minds and allowing our reptilian brain in some ways to, to control those behaviors. And it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to get out of it without a doubt. Very difficult, but it's possible. Yes, and for anyone listening, for like that is in the depths of an eating disorder or an addiction, do you have any um, closing words that are you'd like to share with them? You know, I, I just I again I kind of go back to that that hope, right? To I give you hope. Take a deep breath. Find and think of of just one thing around you, in your environment, um, in your life that, um, that you're grateful for. Um, you know, I was reading something last night uh, and it talked about, um, you know, it was, it was a, a book that had some, some quotes in it. And the quote essentially was about being grateful that you're reading this book that you can read like something so simple right as being able to just read a book um just to turn our attention to you know the things the things in our lives that, like that are that are good and focusing on the things that we have that we can be grateful for sometimes shifts us just a little bit ever so slightly to bring more of that goodness because what you appreciate appreciates and and the more that we can bring the good things we all want the good things right we want the good things we want to feel good so how do we feel good i think we feel good by we consciously change our brain by changing our brain and having the awareness around our thinking and so one of the ways to do that is just by being being gratitude having gratitude being gratitude Thank you, Jennifer. Thank Thanks you so much God. for coming on. Yes.